Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. For good times, the best times, you can't go wrong. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Well, hello all you lovely people out there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Before My Time. I'm your host, Kelsey Laurie. And today we're talking about, that's right, pre-code Hollywood. Let's just do it, kids. Okay, so I'm super excited about this topic. Matt, I don't know. Do you know anything about pre-code Hollywood? So this one I actually do feel pretty knowledgeable in. While I didn't necessarily go to film school, uh, when I went to college, I was uh, what Penn State called a letters, arts, and science major, which was their fancy term for liberal arts. Uh, So I could basically take whatever classes I wanted as long as I could justify it. So I took every film (laughs) class that was available uh, throughout the four years. And 
I I definitely remember a lot of pre-code conversations there. I've watched a ton of documentaries about cinema. Here's what I'm going to say I remember, and then I'm sure you've been doing the research where you're going to just like hit me with a million and one other things. Yeah, I'm going to be like, wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I I know that there was a period before the Hayes Code where shit got wild. And it wasn't like, you know, I, I think we already said that, you know, 1970 mashes the first movie to say fuck in it. So it wasn't so much cursing that was the problem but you had a lot of gangster movies with a lot of shooting you had a lot of sexual innuendo in some like seductive conversations and there was a lot of nudity in some of the like a lot yeah i remember (laughs) the first time i grew up watching turner classic movies and the first times i saw tarzan and his mate which is on here and i was like oh the old tarzan's on and i was like wait a minute this is like 19 30, I have the date, but like, yeah, as my teenager mind being like, this is like early 30s. Like, I thought they were all prude and like super classy and they're yeah, like, like naked. Boobs. Yeah, there's just she is naked in the water. Yeah. And then when I realized and kind of did more research and even learned as a teenager, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I am for this. Yeah, I, I remember, I think the two documentaries that mention it the most out of the ones that I watched was American Grindhouse, which is about mm-hmm. the history of like the 70s exploitation films, but they cover a little bit of like what the Hayes Code was and how like the exploitation films were a bit of a rebellion to that before the MPAA came into play. And then this film is not yet rated, which is just a film mm-hmm. about the history of ratings on movies in general. But yeah, I, that's that's the main stuff I remember. And then okay, I remember great. some of the weird parts of the Hayes Code, like... Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. Hitchcock was kind of the king of like finding loopholes with the Hayes Code, which I, I love talking about. That's a fun. Yeah, a lot of filmmakers did. We'll, we'll get into this. We'll okay, get there. Let's, yeah, let's, let's start with let's the pre-code. Rewind. Yeah. Pre-code Hollywood. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> pre-code Hollywood. We've got films already, right? And so we've got the silent film era. And 1929, actually it was, let me rephrase that, 1927 um, is our first featured film. We start entering the talkies. The talkies is when we get sound. So you can actually, <laughs> you guessed it, talk. There was just shorts before in like the late 20s and this that. So our first featured film is 1927 called The Jazz Singer. And around the world though, the talkies, this was really interesting to me, the talkies weren't received that well. Like Europe was suspicious to dialogue in films. They thought it would take away from the unique aesthetic virtues. And then Japan, their traditional silent films were with live vocal performances. So they were even slower to bring in talkies to their culture. The only country that seemed to really thrive off of it, aside from the US, was India. Because their sound transformed like their entire film industry and what it became and led to its like rapid expansion. So around the world, it was like, "Mm." but sexualization in film started increasing in the 1920s because we've got, you know, it's the jazz era. We've got prohibition. So we're starting to get that underground jazz clubs and girls are cutting their hair short and their dresses are coming up higher. And so that's just in culture alone in society, we're getting more sexualization on the street. So the pre-code era is from 1929 to 1934. And it's when the official, the talkies start. And it's because there's no, what we have now is a rating system. You know, you go to a film, it's PG-13, rated R, PG. That didn't exist yet. There there were no guidelines in Hollywood yet because, you know, films were still kind of so new. So in this era literally you could make any anything goes a movie that i have not a doubt in my mind will one day get covered on this show either by one of us or a guest uh singing in the rain i feel like Mm -hmm. is a perfect movie to capture the awkwardness of that transition from 
silent film to talkie. I can't stand it. Yeah, like the advent of the talkie also ended a lot of people's careers who did not have a great voice for talkie yeah, films. Um, but also it captures like, you know, there's the scene where the record skips that they were playing. And like, it was very easy for things to get out of sync. So I understand why there was a bit of hesitation to the talkie because I'm pretty sure it didn't go without a hitch at the start. I'm sure there were definitely bumps in the road that made it oh, a, yeah. a, a bad experience at the start. For sure, yeah. And I, I we definitely will get into Singing in the Rain on these episodes. And I think we should kind of look at the silent film era and that, you know, might go into some of that transition. But um, okay, with this, yeah. So the movies, it's, it's a wild west right now with the talkies and what you can put up there. So the Hayes Code was developed by William H. Hayes. He was the president of the Motion Picture Produce producers and distributors of America. And he created the Hayes Code. It was created and kind of put into play in 1930, but it wasn't enforced until 1934. So they had this code in 1930 and Hollywood was like, see, look at that. Screw it. And completely <laughs> ignored it. Like it was completely ignored by Hollywood and the studios because the Great Depression was currently going on. It was from 1929 to 1933. If you could make money, that's all people cared about because it was such a clusterfuck at the time. So filmmakers and studios were like, no, these movies are making money. People want to see the naked girl in the bathtub and the scandal is this, that. Screw you. We're going to keep going. So it took quite a while for them to get that. The code then, I'm going to kind of go a little later and then we'll kind of come back to pre-code era. But the code itself um, was enforced from 1934 to 1954. But by the late 50s, the code actually started to weaken because we were getting more controversial directors pressing boundaries. TV starts to come into play and a lot of foreign films are coming in. So we're kind of getting this weird new stream of media that is pushing boundaries. And in 1968, the production code was replaced by the MPAA film rating system that we have today. Yeah. So that comes in. Um, interestingly enough, when I'm talking about, you know, the late 50s kind of pushing it in this, that we did cover this film, Some Like It Hot. That's a huge marker of the code starting to weaken. So Some Like It Hot in 1959 was released without a certificate of approval. It did not technically follow anything of the Hayes Code, so they didn't get a certificate. But... It was, you know, it, it's with cross-dressing, there's violence, there's the homosexuality. That that was all against the code, but it had an overwhelmingly um, huge success in the box office. And so that kind of weakened the authority of the code. So we get films like that. And so another reason we love Some Like It Hot. And this hasn't stopped. Like, like there's, um, even in the, in the modern day with the MPAA, there are countless mm -hmm. stories. I know a big one is um, Troma Pictures, uh, an infamously... A grimy independent horror company uh, when they mm -hmm. were first trying to get started. Obviously, if you had a movie that was rated X, you couldn't really get it into a mainstream theater. And mm -hmm. X, for the record, most people will imagine an X rated movie as a pornographic movie. Uh, what actually happened with that is that the X rating was basically for a while in the 70s, it was kind of like an R. Like it was because we didn't have PG 13. So it'd be G, P, G, R, and X. So that's why like Midnight Cowboy is the only X-rated movie to win Best Picture was because at that time it was basically like an R rating. Over time, they kind of started to move away from the X rating and the X rating essentially became a way of them to say, we're not going to release this movie, right? Mm -hmm. So the way that that got associated with the porn industry, real quick, fun fact, is that they decided not to copyright the X because they figured no one's ever going to want that. If we give it an X, they're going to want to resubmit it for one of the other 
ratings. So now there's this rating out there that has no copyright. So the porn industry kind of acquired that rating and just started to exploit it because oh, they didn't have to pay a copyright for it. So that's a fun fact there. But is that kind of where what, like the triple X thing comes in? Yeah, where it's like, yeah, yeah. Like it's like it's nonsense. It's just like it's so bad. Like, <laughs> like it's like yeah, so, why X is oh that's interesting. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. What some studios would do, trauma specifically, was they would submit a movie, it would get an X rating, they would completely recut it until it was an R rating. And then as soon as they got the R rating, they would ship out the X-rated version with the R sticker on the box because they're like, no one who rated this movie is going to go into the theaters and see if it's the, the movie they approved. W- <laughs> they just blatantly are like, you like this one? Yeah. Here's just women with dresses all the way down to their ankles. Release the naked film. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I think Hollywood has always kind of found ways to uh, exploit, even today, found ways to exploit the rules and get around them a little bit. Absolutely. So Hayes Code is what? Can we go over some of the crazy aspects of the Hayes Code? Because you've covered Absolutely. a few of it with like some like it hot. But like, yeah, there was a length of how long you could kiss, right? Like that. Yeah, was there a- was. It was divided into two parts. And there were the first part was general principles, which were prohibited. Um, the picture from, quote unquote, lowering the moral standards of those who see it. So they didn't want to wrongfully influence women, children in the lower class who they said, quote unquote, had susceptible minds, which ah, offensive. Yeah. You know, they wanted de- to depict the correct standards of life. So the code itself had a Catholic undertone. So they kind of followed those religious views as well. And then the second part was particular applications, which was the exact list that couldn't be depicted and things that couldn't. So, you know, there's there's things you expect, like, you know, profanity. You can't take the um, Lord's name in vain, illicit traffic, trafficking of drugs, any, any interference of sexual perversion, white slavery, which I thought was really crazy and shitty. They have white slavery on there, but yeah. that's it. So it was like that. That's shit. But whatever. Anyways, you had no like sex hygiene and venereal diseases. So you couldn't anything about a venereal disease. And, you know, obviously it's like, okay, no rape, no killing children, excessive or lustful kissing. And it says particularly when one character is heavy. So (laughs) there is a particular and I couldn't find it if it's three seconds or five seconds, but you can't. I think it might be. I, that I one I had a hard time. It's, I want to say it was like three seconds, but I, I remember learning in many film mm. classes that Hitchcock and a few other people, but Hitchcock was the king of this, would, let's say it was three seconds, he would mm-hmm. have characters kiss for three seconds, talk Great. a little bit more, kiss again. Yeah. And what that actually creates is like so much more intimacy than if they just kissed and you faded out. It's <laughs> like, true. I know. Yeah. And it was, that was the way that they would kind of like, yeah, the kiss and break or if a character was kissing and then they would kind of like do the cheek rub next to each other and kiss her cheek and then go back in for the lips. It was I know that was a huge way. They're like, well, technically they weren't kissing for that long. And I know that this is where we start to get you can't have. Well, obviously, premarital sex is against the code, but even showing anything really sexual or sex in general was against the code. But this is where we get the separated beds in yep. films So you could have – you either had to have a male and a female in separate beds or if they were sleeping in the same bed, the woman had to have one foot on the ground. So if if you were shooting something and they're both in bed, she had to be slightly halfway out of the bed and she had to have one foot touching the ground. That is in the code. And that's because that shows that you – 
physically could not be getting up to no good or no sexual shenanigans if if one foot's on the ground. And I was like, wow, Mr. Hayes, Mr. Hayes, let me prove you wrong. But <laughs> that was my thought. God knows no woman has ever had sex with one of the feet not being in the bed. <laughs> that is, Yeah, no hanky panky <laughs> is physically possible with one foot on the ground. No. Ah. Man, poor Mrs. Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> not getting kissed longer than three seconds. And no, no. <laughs> but you also, I, I feel like a lot of the documentaries Documentaries that I've watched. I want to say Celluloid Closet was a big one, if you've ever seen that, which was like the history of homosexuality in cinema. But I think one of the other things was, I don't know if this was a direct rule, it probably wasn't, but there was a bit of an implication that like, if you had a character who maybe had gay tendencies, that it basically Mm -hmm. had to be a villain and that they had to not survive the end of the film essentially so you get movies like lady frankenstein that has a very strong character who gives off very heavy lesbian vibes and she's the only character to die at the end of the movie when castle frankenstein burns down or like Mm -hmm. there was a lot of stuff like that where the implication was essentially like if you're going to show a character that's not a good wholesome home heterosexual man or woman they can never be seen as like a good way to live a life that leads right to yeah like you you're not allowed prosperity. to sympathize a villain or someone that's breaking the law so you can't have your lead character be a bank robber and kind of you know what we get now where we're getting like oceans 11 yeah. there's no way you could have made that movie because we're actually all on the side of the person committing crime so like that's a huge no-no or if you do have someone doing that they have to have a tragic ending to be like, see what comes around goes around. Like it's teaching you a lesson. So very true, which is crazy. Well, no, I guess that's why even cause after pre-code you start getting a lot of film noirs. There are some great film noirs, which we will definitely do an episode on this, but start in the pre-code, but we go after once the Hayes code is enforced into the fifties and even sixties, we get some of the best film noirs. And a lot of them have, you know, very cynical, lustful, intentions behind them but they always end tragically because that is a classic film noir so everyone always dies or someone's lonely or they get killed and blah 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 and so it still kind of goes into the code's regulations of they are doing wrong but they have a tragic ending so it they can't have that happy ending and i think that's how you know it shows how that kind of falls into that place but so i have a question for you and it's totally fine if you couldn't find this information but i'm curious Mm -hmm. so i think most of us who are film nerds are aware that like gremlins and uh indiana jones and the temple of doom are kind of the reason why the pg-13 rating exists and some of us i didn't know that oh yeah yeah (laughs) because those were pg movies and they seemed too violent for pg film but not so violent that an r rating made sense so that's why later on they created that pg-13 rating and then in the 60s i believe it was like the graduate easy rider and bonnie and clyde were like kind of the controversial films that led to them being like we need some type of rating system like these movies can't just be screening along with the next disney movie where it's like oh we can't get into this disney movie let's take the kids to see the graduate so i was curious was there any specific films that you read about that were like that was like the big one to make people be like we need to get this shit under control it was a mix of films that kind of push it to the end i have a list of films that i do want to get into that are 
perfect um, depictions of pre-code films and some of the ones that did lead to it. So I know one of the ones that I read that definitely was like a pusher is called Blonde Crazy. Um, I watched it last week. It's 1931. It's uh, Joan Blondell and James Cagney. And they're both a bellman and a maid, hotel maid. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Y'all, my brain. Um, and they start, they they decide to come into business together and start scheming people for money. And so that's another, that's a huge plot in pre-code. Everyone's like just out for a good scheme to get rich, <laughs> to get money, to rise. Everyone is scheming someone and seducing people. And it's kind of fun. Like, I, I, don't know I, why. I actually really enjoy it. You just saying his name made me go like, I feel like every James Cagney film could be like reasons for them to create a, a, a rating code because he just gave all oh this God. attitude as like someone that shouldn't be trusted. The, Blonde Crazy is great. The amount alone of face slapping that happens in this movie. There's there's a part where they're constantly just she, Joan Bondell is like slapping James Cagney all the time because he keeps coming on to her and they end up at the end, he ends up in jail. And then she's like, I do love you. And he's like, yeah, I'm here for you, baby. But he always opens the door and, hi, honey. And that's how he always <laughs> greets her. And I love it. But she's constantly slapping his face. And there's one scene that she's the maid. And there's this perverted um, hotel guest, this older gentleman, who keeps trying to find reasons to call her back in to like, clean her room or whatever. And um, he has these beautiful pearls. So he puts them on her. And she's looking in the mirror. And she's like, oh, my gosh, these are beautiful. And he's like, yeah. And he kind of goes around and starts to grope her. And she says, you know, like, stop that. And she pulls him away and it, it breaks the beads and they go all over. And he's like, what? Look what you did. And this that he's getting mad. And he leans over to pick up beads and she hand, gets a scoop full of um, the pearls and puts them in his pants and his ass and then slaps his ass and runs out with the pearls. And I'm like, this is great. Like, but that's not in Blonde Crazy. There's a scene. She's actually in the bathtub and it's like a really famous pre-code scene and she's naked in the bathtub. And obviously you don't see her boobs fully, but the fact that she's covering them, but she's naked. And that was a scene that started, you know, like was part of the collaboration of everything kind of being like, Ugh. highly, um, one of the top ones is I'm No Angel was 1933 with Mae West and Cary Grant. And this was one of the films deemed responsible for the enforcement of the code because okay. the code already exists. 1930 it was created and existed, but again, it didn't get um, enforced until 34, but they have super provocative dialogue, seduction, innuendos, and immoral mood. So that one is highly seen as a pusher. And then the sign of the cross, I think it's, it is one of the top and any list you find of like the top typical best pre-code era films um, this is always tops the list. Sign of the Code was 1932 and it's a epic. So it was directed by Cecile B. DeMille and it was his biblical tr trilogy. And so this was following the Ten Commandments of 1923 and the King of Kings 1927. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm. Available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know.
Was that enough references? Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. So he kind of had these big epic Roman, you know, this was his jam. But in this film, there's so many. There's the Empress who Claudette Colbert. Claudette Colbert plays um, Empress Popeya, I might be saying the uh, character's name wrong, but she has this whole scene where she's bathing in ass's milk. That's a donkey, ladies and gentlemen. Don't, don't, it's not that dirty. And she's completely, I, I've watched this scene and she's in there and you, you can tell she's bathing and putting on a show for her other ladies bathing her. And, you know, it's just this very seductive, sexual, you're like, oh. And then there's a scene they're trying to seduce this woman to join a Roman orgy and, and, to seduct is she won't go for it you know she's like no i'm not and so they bring in a woman to do the dance of the naked moon and and they on quote they say that will warm her into life they want her to so there's this whole dance erotic dance scene and you know she's kind of in a very belly dancey beautiful costume but she's seductively dancing around this other woman and so it's kind of a lesbian undertone of these two females sexually <laughs> together. And her job is to be like a fluffer for her. And that was a huge scene that everyone was like, oh my gosh, this is crazier. Like at least. And then there's um, a full like arena scene at the end. They're sacrificing these women that are completely naked and they're just barely covered. Like their boobs are just barely covered around the nipples by garland and they're tied up to be fed to crocodiles. There's one girl that's like strand hanging from her hands and feet, completely nude, wrapped in garland. There's another where there's a woman again, completely nude and garland up against a stump and a gorilla comes out and she's like left to either be, I read one thing that was like, so she's left to be raped or murdered. And I was like, oh my God, like this is crazy. <laughs> and so that was a huge, like, like it's one of the top, most like that's pre-code for you folks and and that one definitely was uh helped pushing it to the limits oh and also um i read i don't know if this is just someone's opinion or but another one redheaded woman was another that definitely i i did read that kind of push it a bit and that's gene harlow who gene harlow was a big starlet obviously at the time and continued her career but she's a queen of pre-code. You know, there's some women that just, I mean, she, every role she plays, it's kind of like you said about James Cagney, when Jean Harlow comes on, you know, you're, you're getting seduced. Yeah. <laughs> That's her jam. Redheaded woman. Oh, I did. Yeah. I, I watched this as well last week, but she's um, a gold digger. She breaks up her boss's marriage. I'm, it's almost kind of in a creepy way where you're like, this woman's psychotic. Like she does not let this poor man go. And it's just, throwing herself and he's denying her so many times breaks up her marriage and she's just trying to get her way to financial success again a very common theme in pre-code uh, but she's changes multiple times she's changes her clothes like two or three times on camera where you don't see it but you kind of see her start to pull down you see her feet her clothes are coming down and she's constantly doing that with her roommate they're constantly talking about sex like her and her roommate 
are it's very quite vulgar for the time of where they're going and she's constantly pulling up her dress and showing her garters and there's one scene she goes to an older gentleman's place she's already married to this guy that she broke up her marriage they get married and then she goes and has an affair with someone else and you see her her dress is up and she's fixing her garters and she smacks it and pulls her dress down and she's like don't feel guilty and the guy's stressing out and it's just very clear they just slept together and you know so it's out of marital sex seduction she's showing her thigh she's changing and it's that one was um another that definitely nice pushed pushed i know they are nice were you so so of you watched a a couple of these would you say on a percentage scale right how many percent of them would you be like i would watch that movie again i enjoyed that quite a bit quite a few of them some some not so much to be honest there were quite a few i would definitely rewatch but this brings me to my favorite pre-code era movie and it might be on my top 10 list of favorite movies of all time. So I saw this, I was in on vacation with my parents one time um, as a teenager, I was like 14 or 15 and I got sick for two days. So we were at the beach, they were at the beach all day and I was in bed, you know, having to stay inside. So I watched Turner Classic Movies and they were having a Barbara Stanwyck marathon. So that was my introduction to Barbara Stanwyck, who now is one of my all time favorite actresses. And they were playing like nonstop the film Babyface, which is 1933. And that was my introduction to her. And this was my introduction to Pre-Code Hollywood. And I've rewatched this movie so many times. It's so good. So um, she plays Lily Powers, who's forced to sleep slash entertain, if you will, uh, clients at her father's bar from her hometown. That's how she grows up. So she leaves for New York and basically sleeps her way to the top without any remorse. So <laughs> granted, from um, the train scene of her escaping her town, they get caught, her and her maid, get caught in the guys get off here and she kind of pulls in the corner like we can work something out and you they do the filming where they see the lights go down and her thigh go up or you know kind of a thing and she just literally starts working at a bank and and sleeps with everybody to get to the top and it's just the best depiction too of like the close-up she has these amazing monologues where they're like what's wrong with you and she's like men you're the reason i think this way and you're the reason i'm never gonna trust you i'm gonna get what i want in this life and i'm gonna do whatever it takes to get there kind of a you know these amazing just hysterical breakdowns and i'm i am so here for it and obsessed with it and her performance is amazing so i highly recommend watching Babyface. it has so many amazing pre-code attributes so would you say it's it's a great film so yes there are and then um everyone here if you've listened to my previous episodes knows i'm a huge frankenstein fan mm-hmm. so the 1931 frankenstein film is a pre-code film and there was before the actual Hayes code came out nationwide nationwide there were a lot of state regulations so some films would be made and they would be distributed out and some states wouldn't play certain films because that state had decided we have some rules we want to follow and we don't deem this appropriate. So Frankenstein was one of it that it was banned in a lot of states or they would cut scenes from the film and then show it. And so more than half of the film would be cut out in a lot of viewings. And a huge one that is against the code is when he creates the creature, Victor Frankenstein creates a creature and he's, asks you know like in the name of god now i know what it feels like to be god and that's against the code which obviously this is pre-code but it's blasphemy he's he's saying he's more powerful than god you can't play god you can't even say that you're playing god um it's against the code so when it was re-released in 1938 they cut that line out and it became only it's alive which now is like a very famous line from that film but 
he does say it in the original, it's alive. And then he goes off on this big I'm God tangent. So it kind of, it's interesting that the really famous it's alive line that we have, and there's so much emphasis on it is because it got re-released and edited for the code. So when they made The Bride of Frankenstein in 1935, they couldn't then put in in the script anything that had to be with, you know, playing God or that kind of power because 1935 is after we have the implementation of the code. Duck Soup, Marx Brothers, Duck Soup 1933 is a pre-code era film. I'm telling you right now, we're doing a whole Marx Brothers Oh God, Marx Brothers, we have to go. Yeah. I mean, one of the things in the code is um, the just rights, history, and feelings of any nation are entitled to consideration and respectful treatment. So that's part of the code. So that's why you actually don't get a lot, you know, when we get into World War II, and this is a whole interesting article and a lot of kind of a big rabbit hole I went down is you don't see a lot of Nazis and anything anti-Hitler in Hollywood in the beginning because according to the code, it's like, you can't attack someone else's. Yeah, you've got to be super neutral, essentially. You have to be so careful. And it's not just like the, oh, let's play their political cards as far as a nation so we don't piss off Germany kind of a thing. It was like, it actually was, you have to show respect and give them a chance kind of thing. And you can't put down any other leadership, this, that. And so it wasn't until you Nazi spy from the Three Stooges. It was a short. And also with those shorts and the comedy kind of the code, I, they could get around it a little more because they didn't have as much emphasis and eyes on them as, as much as Hollywood full length films did. So I thought that was really interesting. But anyways, back to duck soup, it's basically a satire of the Hoover administration. And a lot of people thought it was criticism of the current FDR administration, but that is not allowed with the code. So duck soup is another classic pre-code Hollywood era. So again, yeah, it's not just a lot of seduction and face slapping and women changing on screen. It's horror films. It's political satires. We mentioned on our Freak Show episode, the movie Freaks, that's a pre-code era because it was just so horrific as well as far as how they were putting certain people into light or, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very disturbing movie. Disturbing. Yeah. And it was really hard for a lot of people to watch. I know a lot of people had left the theaters with that film and that one is a pre-code. So yeah, it kind of, it's really interesting how it goes all over the film. I've never seen this film, but the film, the world moves on 1934 is the first film to get the seal of approval. So that is officially our first code movie. There we go. Code. And we have some other memorable, honorable mentions. Um, I did say Tarzan and his mate, 1934. Jane is naked swimming. They both aren't wearing much clothes. They're constantly caressing in the, in the movie, and there's so much sexual tension. They sleep together, and they're not married. Ooh, oh. Ooh, scandalous. Because no one does that. The Divorcee, 1930 with Norma Shear. She actually won the Oscar And it's a young wife discovers her husband's infidelities and decides to be unfaithful herself for revenge. So this is also, I mean, so many things. You have out of marital sex and then she deliberately is cheating on her husband, but it gives kind of a gender equality. It's an interesting film in the history of movies because instead of her being the victim or this, that, you see a woman go, oh, you're going to be unfaithful? I can play that game too. And it's her taking power as a woman to get back at her husband by sleeping with other men and then also the own right of seducing men, and which was really interesting to me in pre-code Hollywood is there's almost a very strong feminism power in pre-code yeah. because these women – you know, granted they're sleeping their way to the top, but they're like, I'm going to get what I want and I'm going to use my strong sexuality, which I guess today feminists, I, 
I don't know. I don't want to piss someone off or if I do, I'm, whatever. I'm sorry. Today, it's now not using your sexuality and, you know, let's like be just as smart in this, that. But I think there's something just as powerful and something to say to go, I'm going to completely expose a man's weakness with my virtues and um, not virtues, but my assets. There you go. And use what I got and use it to my advantage and power and gain my power over men. And granted, I'm saying this all as far as this is 1930. Like, don't quote me on this being 2022 kind of a thing. Y'all get what I'm saying. But I I think there's something very strong and it. it does show a lot of power for the women in these films. And they're all just amazing. I mean, this is, you know, we have Mae West. Um, Joan Blondell was like a huge pre-code star. Betty Davis is very young in this era and she's starting to rise. We've got Jean Harlow, um, Ginger, a young Ginger Rogers is starting to come into play. So we've we've got some really strong women, but I, I love that part of it. I think the women in Hollywood in this era are just so powerful. Um, but you want to hear an interesting, after the code got put into play, Betty Boop, who I, again, I wrote that down, we're going to do an episode on Betty Boop because I highly grew up with her and I probably have seen every episode, but she was a flapper and she has this cute little sexy dress on, you know, it's strapless, her thigh showing her garter. She starts wearing an old fashioned housewife skirt after the codes come out. So her, her attire even changes. But I feel like uh, even to this day, when people think of Betty Boop, they think of flapper dress. They think of flapper dress. That's the most famous. Yeah, we don't think of like Little House on the Prairie Betty Boop because no one wants that. We (laughs) want little boop boop be doop. Yeah, you being uh, a longtime Betty Boop fan is not very shocking. It's about the same as finding out that you're a big fan of Gilda Radner. It's like, really? Yeah, right. (laughs) It's like (laughs) I never got things you put in to make (laughs) (laughs) the things to make a Gelsey cocktail. Every ingredient makes sense. It's like, ah, that's. (laughs) I do want to talk about a film though that was. After the codes, um, 1943, but was one that was very controversial. You're going to know it, but pushes the code a lot. And it is Howard Hughes's The Outlaw. So there oh. were still people making films that were, you know, this technically I would say is almost a pre-code film, not in pre-code. But I feel like it's there's a, a very famous Jane Russell. There's there yeah. there are there's quite a handful. Like, but- I was thinking like Blackboard Jungle. I feel like is another one of those films mm. where. Like so controversial at its re- mm-hmm. at its release. I love um, it. I love the racy push. Yeah, Jane Jane Russell's cleavage was quite that. I think he had like multiple bras created because he's like her cleavage isn't right, and it's getting you know <laughs> he's just doing these like close ups on her and just so seductive and it was not in accordance to the code. So Fox pulled out their distribution on this film, and Hughes actually used this for publicity. He started calling people and telling them you know church groups and women's organizations like, did you hear they're they're not going to distribute Hughes film and don't go see it. It's so scandalous and this that and he made more of a fuss of it to get. PR where it was yeah. brilliant. It was a absolutely brilliant marketing plan and it was released for one week and then got pulled immediately for code violation. But then it was widely released in 1946 and it was a box office hit. So that was a, uh, you know, kind of a push in it and got it. He didn't get around it. I mean, it did get pulled, but I thought he, Howard, Hughes is such an interesting character, but I love that he went with it and was like, great, let's use this as a PR. I mean, I think from the beginning of time, the second that something is the second you're told that you're not allowed to watch or listen to something. Oh, it's the first thing I want to do. There's there's something weird about every time people try to censor things. They basically just accidentally 
give it so much more exposure. <laughs> like, Absolutely. I mean, that's there's there's t- hundreds of films that you know were created during pre code era Hollywood, and so if you have your favorite that I didn't mention, please let us know on Instagram or Facebook. But yeah, that's those are those are some notable ones, and I just think it's such an interesting time of you know it really is that kind of wild west phase of Hollywood when everyone just gets to run wild. Mom and dad aren't home. Bring the keg. Nice. All right, so Gelsey, I have a really wild question to ask you right now. Obviously, we're talking about pre-code Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Do you have any memories? It can be a movie. It can be a song. It can be a TV show. Do you have any memory of watching something as a kid and knowing that your that you parents wouldn't have approved of you watching it? Well, the thing is, is that a lot of things I watch that I'm like, I know this is wrong. My dad was like, don't tell mom you're watching this. There's okay, a lot of those. Fair. Like, I have one of those too, but, but I'm yeah, curious. Like we, I was introduced to Rocky Horror Picture Show at a very young age. Yeah, and there were scenes like the scenes where they're in bed and Frankenfurter comes in and seduces both brad yeah. and janet at different times oh, we always no. had to do you think i should <laughs> no, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly we we always fast forwarded that and i knew it was like oh we aren't allowed to watch this didn't but i remember like one time seeing part of it and we couldn't get to the remote fast enough and being like but still like confused you know i was so young i didn't really understand what was going on and then um when i was a little older my dad had us watch stripes because he would always have us watch movies and be like there's things in this that you know you can't see and oh there's like there's boobs but it's for comedy he's like this is your yeah comedy education which dad thank you we had to i remember always watching stripes and we'd be like on the lookout for mom be like mom's home turn it off and like (laughs) she had the like perfect mom instinct of walking in at the worst moment like she'd walk in right at the shower scene when he's like bend over and she like drops the soap and like she comes in she's like what jack what are you letting the kids watch or like i would even be like they're just boobs where is the exploitation factor of it no, I didn't give a shit. Are you kidding me? We went to topless shows when I was like 10. I wanted to be like a topless Moulin Rouge dancer my whole childhood. And I would like walk around the house with my Hanes her way pulled up my butt to be a thong. I'd put a feather in my hair and I would like do a Vegas showgirl walk around like while they're watching TV. They're like, Kelsey, get out of here. Like, no, we are not in any way. Like I grew up in showbiz. They didn't mind. Like there were plenty of movies my mom was okay with if if they were boobs or something. It was more, it depends what the context is. If it's oh. sexually in a sexual context, which a lot of the times it was, you know, speaking of stripes, it's like he's peeping Tom and perving with binoculars into the women's locker room. And they're like soapy, sudsy, like rubbing their tits. And he's like, yeah, yeah, drop the soap. Like that, she was like, they don't need to see that. She's a child. Like I was too young for that. But but it's funny because there's a lot of movies now I'll watch. Like one is um, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. So the second one I grew up with and watched all the time as a kid. Like – I would say yeah, five years old, that six movie. years old, seven years old. And there's so many inappropriate things in that movie. And I watch it now and I'm like, oh my God, what? You can't. But they just, I didn't even know when I was a kid. They flew so over my head. So, but like when my parents knew things would just fly over our head, they didn't care. I think I talked about this a lot on the Grease episode of, you know, as a kid, things flying over your head in movies. And so if they knew it was that, but the things that were just so obviously like, a sex scene or, you know, at a very, very young age, they were just trying to protect me, I think, from 
Like, yeah, I was just too young. I don't need to I was, be going, yeah, I wait, what? Like, I was I was almost in college, I think, when I realized how much Ace Ventura fucks in just the two films that he's in. Like, Oh, it's, it's insane. Ace Ventura even, gets laid like crazy in those movies, and it never dawned are, on me. Yeah, and even like what he <laughs> says, even... um. Um, the mask, I, I grew up with the mask as well. We grew up with Jim Carrey like heavily in my house. But when he goes and makes balloon animals for like the hooligans that chase him in and he's like, oh, French poodle. And he's going in for balloons and he pulls out and he pulls out a condom. Sorry, wrong pocket and throws it yeah. away. I remember the first time I watched that movie when I was older and I was like, oh my God, I never understood that. Like when I was old enough for it to click and I was like, I had no idea, like stuff like that. It's so weird because you don't think of, I I think it's also that so many of those characters quickly became Saturday morning cartoons. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's wild because like Wayne's World, I will say is a movie that I love, but like Wayne's World, really, they've talked about it before. Like Wayne and Garth really like aren't sexual beings, really. They're not, (laughs) they're not like as much as they party, like they're not stoners. They're not dr- like, they're just dudes who like going out and seeing music. Like that is yeah. there. I mean, they do like their chicks. They always swing. Like, but you know, know I mean? Like it's not like, Ace Ventura. It was like, no, I, they are getting, they are fucking. Oh, no, he's in those a very sexual, like, no, he's like a sexual person. His, like, he literally walks, his crotch is the, you talk about this a lot. If like anyone's an actor, if you're not, it's huge in character work, your characteristics, what part of your body you lead with. Yeah. Is a very whether you're confident, you're shy, you're insecure, you're he cocky. Leads with you're, the, the cock, he leads basically. with his crotch. He like yeah. literally leads with his dick. So like you don't even know like the f- butterflies in your stomach that you're feeling. You don't even know what those are. And like yeah, you're like you don't even know this? your body's yeah. reaction to this. Like you're just like what's going on? And like, <laughs> and, you, like ever, you just kind of like sit there awkwardly and you're like, uh. if you have any wild stories about things that you watched that you knew maybe it wasn't pre-code hollywood but it was definitely pre-pubescent hollywood that you shouldn't have been watching without your parents knowing uh let us know where gelsey i can't remember oh let me tell you matt you can head on over to instagram find us at before my time underscore podcast you can also find us on facebook just search before my time will pop up and please share your prepubescent awkward watching movie stories with us because we're here for it. Or let us know what your pre uh, favorite pre-code Hollywood film is. If I didn't talk about it, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to watch it. Let's chat. Also, give us a five-star rating. I'm not even going to ask for it. I'm telling you, give it to us. No, that please, that would be lovely. Okay. I love you guys all. You know that. I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. You make my day that much better. And we'll be back next week with even more Before My Time. Yes, we will.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.